Episode number 36, The Q&A Session. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. This is the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, with Jason Jennings. Jason, always great to be with you. Uh, Dale, it's great to be back with you, too. So this is the Q&A session. We're always asking folks to email in their questions, and you have a list of them. So we're going to start right off the top. Larry from Great Falls, Montana, wrote in. He's in the technology industry. And he asked, is religion a central theme in your life? It kind of seeps into a lot of the stuff you say and talk about. Doesn't offend me. Just wondering. Um, you know, is religion a central theme in my life? Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, every Sunday morning, I... I get up and I go to church from 9 till 10 o'clock and uh, spend a little bit of time in the fellowship hall and, and, and then come home. Um, uh, central theme. Um, and can, you know, I take, can I take listeners back to the very first podcast when we sure. learned more about Jason Jennings? And sure. you almost went into seminary, but somebody I, I, told I, I you did. no. I've, yeah, I've always had uh, this high level of need uh, to serve. And, and there was a time in my life... Uh, after I sold the radio stations and the consulting company, that I seriously considered uh, going back to seminary. I'm not sure if that was motivated as much by belief uh, as it was a, a need to serve. Uh, every Sunday morning when I'm sitting in church from 9 until 10, uh, I, I look around the church, and, you know, if you're a true believer, uh, I guess you wouldn't have to go to church. Uh, you'd be so resolute in your belief. I, I, I believe that churches are a great place for churches and temples and synagogues are great places for doubters. Who are just always trying to put the pieces together and uh, understand the wonderment uh, of life? No. Uh, in response to Larry's question, I do not proselytize. Uh, I, I I don't. I I never want to offend anybody. So, do I have some beliefs? Yes, uh, but I'm not going to wear them on, on on the sleeve of my my uh, arm. However, that being said, let me tell you what I like about all religions. Um, all religions provide us. A set of rules. Uh, so you begin like Moses did uh, with a list of thou shalls and thou shall nots. Uh, Buddhists uh, have their eightfold path. Islam ha- has five pillars and Hinduism has five principles and ten disciplines. So if, if it ever seems like I'm sounding faith-based, it, it's, it's not. I'm probably talking more rule-based uh, because every enduring culture, uh, whether it's a nation-state uh, or whether it's a company. Uh, all enduring cultures are, are built with guiding principles. I, I don't think it's important where those guiding principles come from. I think it's important, we did a whole session on this, that an organization has a set of guiding principles. So I guess you could say that uh, my guiding principles come from uh, Moses and from Buddhism and Islam and, and Hinduism, and uh, it's just a, a set of guiding principles um, that, that I try to uh, live my life by. All it right. just makes things, it makes things easier. But the core, the core message out of that is truly the guiding principles, what it's all about. I, I believe it is. Yeah. I mean, imagine the, the bedlam uh, that we would have if, if, if we didn't have a set of guiding principles. In fact, l- let me mention this. Uh, last, uh, last Sunday, I, I was in Orlando doing a keynote speech for a most remarkable company, uh, Ball Corporation, B-A-L-L, based out of Denver, Colorado. And uh, any old-timers will remember uh, the old bell jars that uh, Grandma used to can in. 
And the company began like 150 years ago. Today, uh, they manufacture tens of billions of aluminum cans every year. Uh, environmentalists love them because it's all recycled aluminum. And they're also in the aerospace business. It, it, it's just a remarkable company. And I was in the back of the room. The CEO, John Hayes, was going to speak first for an hour and welcome everyone. And then it was going to be my keynote speech. And I sat in the back of the room on the edge of my seat with goosebumps. It was the most incredible speech I've ever heard from a CEO because he got up, he welcomed the top 300 leaders in the company, and he said, today, I want to talk about the things we believe. We believe, he began, in family. And he talked about it. We believe in each other. And he talked about it. We believe in innovation. And he talked about it. And what he was talking about was the guiding principles that has allowed this company to grow and endure for 130 or 140 years. So if somebody was in the back of the room looking through a very narrow lens, they could say, well, he's talking about religion. Well, he wasn't talking about religion at all. He was talking about the guiding principles of the organization. Hmm. Excellent response. So Trish from Birmingham in the UK, she's in healthcare leadership. She said she loved the episode on what your clients are really buying. Any more pointers on how to always know what they are buying? Um, well, that's a real simple one. Well, I, I, I don't mean to dismiss her question. I mean, obviously, she's asking it from the right place with the right motivation. Um, you have to be constantly questioning. Um, I, as you know, I, I do these 80 speeches a year around the world. And uh, as part of my preparation, one of the things I'm going to have is I'm going to have an hour to a 90-minute conversation with the CEO of the company. And that, that's just the first step of the preparation. We won't talk about the rest today. And one of my first questions I, I ask is, um, there's lots of authors out there. Uh, there's lots of people who profess to speak out there. Why did you pick me? I'm glad you did. But why are, why are you my customer? Um, it's a question that everybody should just make part of their DNA. Uh, ask people, why are you customers? Uh, it'll give you some tremendous insights. And then you have to be constantly asking the question, how can we improve and get better? Uh, one of the questions I ask in that diagnostic discovery call, one of the last questions is, I want to exceed your expectations. So what would cause you, when I step off the stage, to smile broadly and say, this guy knocked it out of the park? So you have to know the expectations of your customers. And then, and then I think of Mike Long, the CEO of Aero Electronics, this remarkable $25 billion company that I wrote about in the Reinventors. He says, look, I mean, we've got 20,000 people who work here. And he said, every one of them is asking every day of our customers, what else itches that we can scratch? Uh, what causes you pain that maybe we can cause to go away? And then, of course, the next thing I, I would say to Trish is this. You have to find out the aspirations of your customers. And I, I would urge people to do a little mini uh, P&G, Procter & Gamble. And I would urge people to go to the episode uh, where we talked about it. Uh, you know, uh, these 80 events I do every year, um, you, know, I'm, you know, I like to have a good time like everybody else. However, uh, what I find in, in most of these conferences that take place uh, around the world is everybody gathers for a continental breakfast from 7 to 8. You can cut this out of a piece of cloth because it's always the same. 
And then they work uh, from 8.30 or 9 o'clock till about noon. And then everybody is dismissed uh, to go to the spa, to play golf, whitewater rafting, baseball games, whatever it is for the afternoon. Uh, and, and the reason that's done... Uh, the reason they have the educational component, because if you don't have an educational component, it's, it's no longer tax deductible. So a lot of companies uh, try to do the minimum of the educational component, and it's just really a, uh, an acknowledgement trip for their people. But remember what P, uh, Procter & Gamble does. Uh, they have a continental breakfast at 7.30. They cram a lot of stuff in there from 8 o'clock until 12 noon, and then everybody in the company gathers in teams of two, and they spend the afternoon calling in customers. Now, there is no reason, uh, Dale, whether you're a dry cleaner uh, up in Idaho where you live, whether you own a restaurant uh, in Topeka, or whether you manufacture widgets in Jacksonville, that you can't take as part of an annual retreat uh, or, or a company get-together and spend an afternoon in teams of two going out, calling on people, and learning their aspirations. Remember the magical part about the Procter & Gamble home visits is they're not talking about soap powder. They're not talking about detergent. Uh, They're talking about the aspirations of people. So when you truly find out the aspirations of your customers and the aspirations of people who could be your customers, when you're constantly asking the question, what else itches that we can scratch? Uh, When you're constantly asking, what else causes you pain uh, that maybe we can make go away? As Mike Long says of Aero Electronics, you'll never run out of small bets to make. Never. And I want to go back to that one question that you said is so necessary, and that is, why are you my customer? Because that is, uh, you talk about opening yourself up and becoming vulnerable with your customer. Yep. yep. That that really gets down into the nitty gritty of it because you're really you are opening yourself up. And I can't wait to ask that question. Yeah. And, and uh, maybe it's a character flaw on my part. I can't understand why anyone would have a problem asking that question. Because unless, until you know the answer to that question, uh, you'll become delusional and, and probably end up doing all kinds of stupid stuff. It's the easiest question in the world to ask. Why are you my customer? Why did you pick us? And you're right. It makes yourself vulnerable. But in responding, it makes themselves vulnerable too. And then you're already forming a bond that they probably don't have with any other vendor or any other business person. Absolutely. I'm going to take a guess. It's Bibu from Cincinnati, a gallery owner, uh, said, you sound... Now, now, doesn't that sound like a gallery? And I'm not poking fun at Bebo. Keep listening, Bebo. But yes. Bebo is, uh, you were about to say, a gallery owner. It's a perfect name for somebody who owns a gallery. Yeah. B-E-E-B-O-O. So uh, you sound hardcore and demanding. How long do you think employees should be given to, quote, come around to do things the way the company wants them done? You know, I, I, I guess if you call someone a horse ten times, they'll start looking for hay. And I've always thought of myself as a loving, warm, compassionate man. And so if I keep repeating that, I, I guess that's the way I, I see myself. Uh, that's the way I want to be seen. You're a hardcore, loving, compassionate man. I am a hardcore, <laughs> loving, compassionate man because how much time do you give people to come around? You know, I, I, I don't – none uh, is the answer. Uh, because I don't believe that people change. How, how, and I do believe that more organizations have been destroyed or gone out of business because of internal subversion uh, than external aggression or anything that happens in the marketplace. Uh, internal subversion will upend an organization. However, um, 
I think what has to happen is this. Where leadership fails is they say, here are the rules, follow them, and if you violate one of them, we're going to fire you. Well, I mean, that would not be my way of, of, of doing business at all. I think what you have to do is first you begin by hiring hard. Remember we talked about that? Because when you hire hard, I mean, when there's 10 interviews, when a, when a candidate is interviewed not only by you, but by four or five or six or seven other people in your business, and, and anybody has a veto, uh, when you hire hard, uh, as James Archer uh, says, uh, you're able to manage easy. But I think what leadership has to do is say, sit down with people, uh, and it's best one-on-one. Uh, here's where we're at. Uh, here's where we're going. Uh, does that make sense to you? Uh, here's how we're going to get there. Uh, can you get on board that? And here are kind of our rules of the road, our, our guiding principles. Are, are you good with those? I mean, can, can you feel good about yourself buying into these guiding principles? Well, well if the answer is no, I, I don't agree with where the company is going. No, I don't agree with how we're going to get there. And, and no, I, th- I think your guiding principles are bullshit. Well, what you've got is a classic troublemaker on your hands. You, you don't want to have that person in your organization. So how much time would I give that person? None. Uh, there's too much to get done in the day, I mean, to be constantly making rules for the several percent of the people who, who are not going to follow them anyway. Why, why would you make all of these rules for the 98 or 99% of the people who are happy to go along? So, um, you know, I think somebody's got to buy into where the company's going how they're going to get there, the goals and objectives, be seen as being a team member, understanding the rules of the road. If if you have those things, I've got a lot of time for you, and and we'll teach you, and we'll boost you along, and and we'll give you training, and and we'll we'll do whatever we need. But but, but if you don't believe those things, none, none, and I am hardcore. You know, um, as I think through this process and I think about the past questions and your responses, I go back to the conversation you have with a CEO when you say, what would it take for uh, you to have a big smile on your face and say that I exceeded your expectations when I walk off stage? You're setting expectations with that. and, uh, And you're having that open, honest discussion. And really, you're encouraging business owners to do the same thing with their with their employees from a different standpoint. But you're saying set the expectations so that people know what those expectations are, and then I think we all really want to exceed expectations. And I think the employees I, are the same way. I completely agree. I, I think employees and workers are wonderful. Uh, if there's a problem, fish rot from the head first. I mean, it's never a people problem. It's always a leadership problem. All right, Lizbeth from uh, Cape Town. She's a land, uh, landscape company owner. Uh, would love to hear more about small bets. The topic fascinated me, and I forwarded the podcast to all my senior leaders, and it's all we talk about now. So uh, we're we're running short on time. Let's just keep these short because we've got a couple more questions we want to get to. But uh, small bets. Well, yesterday I was reminded of something. I had uh, I had uh, airline problems uh, on the phone without for hours. Uh, a leaky roof in a new, newly renovated uh, home. Uh, incredible presses of business. And, and yesterday, I, I never let stuff get to me. And, and yesterday, I was. I, I was befuddled. And I was reminded by a family member. They said, just, you know, take them one at a time. After all, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time? It's a line from my book, uh, Less is More. 
So, uh, Elizabeth, I, I love your city, Cape Town, uh, in South Africa. It's a, it's a wonderful place. So, first is the acknowledgement um, that what, what brought you to where you are, Elizabeth, in, in your landscape business is probably not going to get you uh, to where you will go or to where you want to go. But, but I think making small bets is a lot like eating an elephant. Uh, confronted with an elephant, you go, I, I could never eat this elephant. Well, it's just one bite at a time. So you're probably confronted with a myriad of, of ideas and, and small bets to try. They're certainly out there. You gain those from customers. And then just try making them one at a time. But I think the way organizations become remarkably proficient uh, at small bets uh, are, are following the rules of small bets. Number one, no skunking is allowed. When somebody comes to you with an idea, you really have to listen to the idea and discuss it. You can't roll your eyes back. You can't say that's a dumb idea. Uh, so you have to have this no skunking rule. Number two, you've got to acknowledge everyone's suggestion. Uh, acknowledge it. It might be a bad suggestion. Now, it might not be a good idea, but you have to acknowledge it and talk it through. Then you've got to be committed to failing fast. I mean, if it works, let's do some more of it. If it doesn't, let's get rid of it, laugh, ask what we learned, and try another one. And then you've got to see yourself as an explorer, a business person, leader, explorer, a lifelong learner, understanding that you will only learn from all of those small bets that you make. And so, Elizabeth, I would say... Uh, do it one at a time and follow those rules. All right, Al and Mobile, he's in finance. He says it's not possible that you have time to get everything done that you do. What is the magic formula? Any time management tips for us? Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I do. I can't say that I've in my lifetime been to many seminars uh, or speeches that were life-changing for me. But it must be 25 years ago uh, when I was, I don't know, I was in my 20s uh, that, that I actually went to a Franklin Covey seminar. And uh, I actually ended up buying the book. I, I bought the diary, uh, kept the diary for many, many years. Uh, now I do almost everything online. But I have never forgotten or never stopped practicing what they taught. And I think I can explain it in probably 90 seconds. So what I do every morning, and, and you're right, I have a jam-packed schedule. What I do every morning at 4.30 or 5 o'clock uh, when I'm up having my cup of decaf and trying to get through the Wall Street Journal and New York Times is I just grab a piece of paper, uh, if I'm not doing it online, and I just write down everything that's got to get done that day. Prepare a speech, uh, do a PowerPoint, work in the book, get to the gym, write thank you notes, play music, answer emails, family time, read magazines. I mean, there's just tons of activities. And then what I do, Dale, it's very simple. Uh, with my pen, I go through the entire list of activities I've written down, and everything either becomes an A, a B, or a C. Uh, a are the must-dos that will happen. Bs are the things I'm going to try to get to, and Cs are the things that maybe I've got a little bit of wiggle room on. And so once everything gets an A, B, or C, then I go through the list again, and I take the A's. And I go, A1, yep, this is the first thing I'm going to do today. Here are A2s. And, and so, for example, in a, in a typical day for me, answer emails immediately and delete them uh, would be an A1. Uh, return phone calls for me uh, every morning would be my A2. Uh, the publisher's been pressing me for another chapter. So work on book two hours would become my A3. Uh, get to the gym. You're not going to miss that. That would become my A4. 
play music. Uh, it's either a, for me, it's either a psychologist, psychiatrist, or, or play music for an hour. And so uh, that would become NA5 family time. I, I schedule it like every other event uh, would become my A6. And then I'd move into the uh, Bs. Uh, prepare a speech. Well, it's not coming up for two and a half weeks, so that'd become a B. Uh, do speech PowerPoint. Uh, that's also coming up in a couple of weeks, so that'd become my B1 and my B2. Uh, write some thank you notes. Yeah, I can skate on those a couple of days. Uh, C1. Uh, spend an hour reading my growing stack of magazines. That'd become my C2. And then what I do is I go through the day just crossing them off. One after the other, one after the other, and generally I find myself in the evening going, hell, I did even more things that are on that list, and I actually then write the things I did at the bottom of the list just so I can have the pleasure of putting a line through them. Oh. So uh, our last question, Allie, he's... Uh, I mean, does that make sense to you? It absolutely does. I think it's a, it's, those are great tips. I mean, if this is one of those podcasts you're going to be able to go back and listen to over and over again, and you're going to need to do so with a pen and paper just to write down the bullet point list out of each one of the, the questions, the answers to the questions, because there's so much valuable material. The next question comes from Ali, who has a doctorate in economics and lives in a tent compound in the Western Sahara. He writes, I only listen to three things. BBC World Service, music, and your podcasts are all the things you talk about applicable all over the world, given the vast cultural differences that exist. So Ali actually sent a picture of him, a picture at university where he got his doctorate, and a picture of his family's tented compound uh, in the Western Sahara and extended an invitation for me to visit. Wow. Is that cool or what? That's very cool. Okay, so Ali's question is this. Uh, are all the things you talk about applicable all over the world, given the vast cultural differences that exist? Um, I'm, I'm going to give the simple answer today because uh, of the time available, and maybe this is something, Dale, that we can explore further uh, another time. I think my proudest accomplishment is I have 110 stamps from 110 countries in my paperback novel-thick passport. Um, I have worked relentlessly to speak some other languages, and I'm constantly studying a la another language. And uh, I guess, uh, I suppose great Americans will not like this, I I'm a proud American, but I really see myself as a citizen of the world, and I've spent a lot of time in other cultures. Ali, what I would tell you is this. Um, I've been in the Middle East. I've spent a lot of time in Asia. Spent a lot of time in South America. Uh, spent time in every state in the U.S., every province in Canada, uh, all over Europe. Um, when you talk to people, and you really talk to people, and we did a podcast on this, and, and you ask people to tell me your story, I, I truly want to know about you. Ali, what I find, and we'll delve into this deeper another time, but I believe that all people in the world want the same thing. Nobody woke up today and said, oh, good, yes, I want to have a real shitty day. Nobody did that. Everybody wants a better tomorrow than today. And so I believe that is greater than any of the cultural differences that exist. Yes, depending on the country where you're in, sometimes you have to take your shoes off outside. Sometimes you can't eat with one hand. Sometimes you have to make certain and clean everything in your plate or you're going to insult people. Uh, there's, there's a way that you present business cards in some culture. I, I, I embrace all these cultural differences. But at the end of the day, uh, my observation 
is that everybody in the planet wants a better tomorrow than today. My job as a leader is to help them have a better tomorrow than today. And if they understand that that's what I'm trying to do, uh, I'm welcomed with uh, open arms. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you so much. Remind, remind them to buy books. Absolutely. Uh, remind them to send us uh, emails. Remind them to forward the uh, podcast to uh, some of their friends. Absolutely. So if you, Why don't you do all those things? If you've just discovered this podcast, there are a number of ways to find it. And you can go back and listen to past episodes because we dive deeper into these topics in those past episodes. And they're all at jason-jennings.com. From that website, you can buy the books. And uh, from that website, you can also submit your own question if uh, there's something you would like to ask Jason. Uh, just uh, click on the link at jason-jennings.com. You'll see the podcast page. Uh, if you just scroll down that front page just a little bit, you'll see podcasts in the center. That's the one page you can do everything from. We would really appreciate it if you would uh, go into iTunes and give us a rating and a review. And what that does is elevates the podcast higher in the iTunes library in the business section so that more people can have a chance to listen to this fantastic content from this world leader jason jennings world leader and author uh, jason jennings and so jason thank you so much for everything you're doing and we will talk to you again next week see you next week for a cup of coffee thanks very much you've been listening to the game changers leadership lessons in speed productivity growth innovation and reinvention with business thought leader best-selling author and keynote speaker jason jennings read jason's most recent new york times bestseller the reinventors and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.